Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. And today in studio, we have our guest, uh, Jim Derrick, who has a radio show here on Franklin Public Radio called Chapters. How you doing, Jim? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Excited about today's show. Excited to drink a little bit of wine. Well, Jim had, had talked to us a few times about his interest in learning about wine tasting. So we thought this would be a great show to bring in some wine. And yes, we do have wine here, right, Kim? We did bring some wine. I can attest to that. So first... Jim, I'd just like to thank you for your community service with the Safe Coalition. I know a few times I had reached out to you and you would help me refer some friends and get yep. some help. And thank you for all you do for the community. Well, thank a lot you, of people Mark. don't know. And thank you also for making me laugh every week with Frank's music, the show you also <laughs> do. Great show. And I've learned a lot about music and you seem to have a great time with him. In I the do. Studio. Frank's a great guy and he, he brings a lot to the table. He's a, he's a fascinating guy. He's got a great show. So, Kim, first, one of the questions... Questions Jim had asked us was when he goes to a restaurant, what to expect. So we are actually going to walk through opening a bottle. Kim is the master at this, Jim. This is great. She's going to show you how to do it. You know, so, I wish this was television. Uh, this is very, very impressive, this process. And um, it's one of the reasons why I love your podcast and this program so much is because newbies like me get get the uh, inside knowledge on how to look really cool in a restaurant and the questions to ask. So I'm excited, Kim. Are you ready to open? You've uh, got you've got your tools. I'm ready. I'm ready. I've got my corkscrew in my okay. hand. So I'm going to pretend as if I am the server for you at a restaurant. You have just ordered a bottle of wine Great. for your table. Great. And then I'm going to come back with that bottle to the table, and I'm going to go through the steps that you should anticipate. Fantastic. So, so we heard Jim likes Cabernet. I hope, hope I do. he does. I actually, you selected my favorite, what would we call this? Variety. Variety. Variety, yep. The grape. Okay. So Great. it's the grape variety, the Cabernet, and the one that we brought along with us today is from Clinker brick winery and it's from the region of Lodi in California which produces really big powerful fruity red wines generally. So I am your server I'm going to come back to the table with the bottle that you ordered and the first thing I'm going to do is show you the label so that you know that it is the wine that you had ordered. Now Kim I noticed that you're holding in your in your right hand the neck of the bottle and, and below you got your hand on the body of the bottle down towards the bottom and I see that every single time in a restaurant is that a, a trained pose Yes. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. I wanted to make sure I was dealing with a professional, and clearly they, I am. Oh, yeah. You, so you, sh- you have to see the label yeah. of what you ordered. So yep. you ordered Clinker Brick. Yep. She's showing you. Hopefully you ordered the 2014, mm-hmm. so that's what she's presenting. And I'm you. nodding the, in the affirmative. And I will now open the bottle. Watch the, out, because it has a knife on it, it too. Does. So, so really? I am using, this isn't television, this is radio, so I'm always going to have to describe it for you, but I am using what is called a waiter's key, which is my favorite type of corkscrew, but it is a little bit bit harder to use if you don't necessarily have the experience with it. So a lot of people will keep one of the corkscrews that have sort of the wings that go up right. that you twist down, which also can be easier, but it, it destroys the cork a little bit more. This is a little bit user-friendly for the cork itself. So it has arm, it has a knife, and it also has what's called a worm, which is the part that actually drills down into the cork. 
Is there anything more frustrating than have cork floating around in your wine? Uh, we hate that. Uh, not a great thing. And if you notice, Jim, on the corkscrew, the, the actual thread of the corkscrew has an opening to it. So a lot of the inexpensive versions of a corkscrew, that end will be one piece. So you can't really grab the cork right. properly. So always look for those opened-end corks. That may be where some of my frustration comes from. So Kim removed the capsule with the knife, just the top of the plastic, and now she's twisting the, the corkscrew into the cork. Excellent. And removing. Hopefully she won't spill it all over the studio. You can splash Jim. That's okay. Yeah, there right. we go. And we caught that. That's great, good. Great, great. Now, it's open, Kim. Is there any length of time that you have to, like, uh, let it breathe? Not in its current state. So okay. when you pull the cork from a bottle and then you just put the bottle down, not a whole lot of oxygen is getting into that bottle. So when you are opening a bottle with the purpose of letting it breathe, so getting air and getting oxygen mixed up in that wine, you really need to pour it into a different vessel in order to get that moving. So just opening the bottle isn't really going to do anything for aeration. Got you it. actually need to get it to have some some contact with air. Interesting. So now at a restaurant, Jim, you, you order the bottle. They're assuming you know it's Cabernet, but you won't technically get any more information usually from, unless there's a sommelier who really knows the, the specs. And one of the things we like to talk about a lot is we look at what's in the bottle. So it's a Cabernet, but it's actually, in the United States, it only has to be 75% Cabernet. This one in particular is 100% Cabernet. So you don't know that from the label. It's the technical sheet that we research to find out what it is. The region is Lodi, which is southeast of Sacramento and uh, northeast of San Francisco. So California, a little bit more inland. That's a really interesting fact to me. I had no idea. So I can, in the United States, drink up to a 2575 blend and still have it be called Cabernet Correct. or some other Correct. varietal. Yeah, and okay. you don't know what that other 25% is. Okay, so if I'm interested in the mechanics of that wine, it would be incumbent upon a sommelier or some other wine expert in the restaurant to give that information to me if I was to ask. Correct. And if, as we go along, if you like this style, which is 100% cab, then when you go to get another Cabernet, you would say, I like cabs, but I like 100% Cabernets. So also a little bit of information. This wine is aged in French oak for 16 months. So that could also be another characteristic that you may pick up where you like the style of a Cabernet that's 100% that's in French oak. So keep that in mind as we go. So I've removed the cork from the bottle and I have handed you, because you were the person who ordered the wine at the table, the cork for you to right. really not do anything with. Right. <laughs> there but is nothing there you really need to do I with I have listened in the past and I've, I'm matching and making sure this is a clinker brick winery cork, which indeed it is. That's right. So this one's on cool this because it actually says on the cork what yeah. the So what it the matches the is. bottle, number one. Mm -hmm. I did take, I know it may not be the favorite posture for, for you, uh, uh, all but but I did smell the cork. Yeah, you got a little on your nose. It's fantastic. Do I have some <laughs> on my nose? No, it it is fantastic. Uh, it smells great. It, uh, it looks nice and sound. It's not crumbly. It's not falling apart. Looks like it's a, it's a nice looking cork. And you can also look at the the stamp of of the seal on the wine. You can see it's only on the tip of the cork. So the the wine has not started to seep through or up the cork. Oh, right. So if you had one, when Kim pulled it out, if that wine was coming all the way through almost to the top, it was starting to leak. So it could cause an off bottle. So that's wow. another example why you, you could look at the cork. Or have some air exposure. Correct. Too, because cork is poor 
forests. I mean, it's it's the wood of a tree. It's the bark of the cork tree. And what happens is why cork is such a good closure for wine is because it creates this airtight seal because it has all of these little pockets around the edges. Interesting. But over time, what can happen is that can degrade and that can break down and it can let air in. Great. So... Next step, Tim, is poured. Next step, I have poured you just a very small sample of the wine. And what you are to do with this is to smell it and make sure that it doesn't smell musty or moldy or or nasty in any way. So in this scenario, I have two other wine glasses, mine and two others. So the three glasses, one for each of us. And I am the host at this particular meal. I've ordered this this wine. So I'm handed the, the tasting glass. Correct. Right? And, that, and that's the process. That's the process. And so I'm not... To swirl it. I'm not to gargle with it. I'm simply to to smell the nose. You can swirl it if you want, but okay. the, the I main... I see people do that all the yeah, time. Yeah, and, and I do just out of habit because okay. I swirl everything, but Understood. just take a sniff. Okay. It smells fantastic. Then you know that you're fine. Okay, so what what would a, a scent that I might pick up that may not correlate to a, a good bottle? The mustiness, like a wet dog or wet newspaper, oh is a definite sign something is off. A basement-y kind of smell. You know, sometimes when you go into kind of damp basements and you get sort of that wet, cementy sort of smell those kind of things are not not good musty so now for our listeners and and i know kim wants to say something too but jim is actually holding his glass by the bowl so technically (laughs) we will show him (laughs) and we'll explain this is why i'm in class the stem uh is there's the bowl there's the stem and then there's the base you want to more hold it by the base because when you hold the bowl you're actually warming up changing the temperature of the wine. So now you're impressive, Jim. Excellent. Now, I've, I've got right. the point. Go. How's this, Kim? Kim's too Better kind to say You were very point. kind. You were sweating <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> a little nerves. So now that you have smelled the wine, give it a little bit of a taste. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. Wow. Pretty so good. So you approve it. So you approve. You tell the server that, that that is good, and then she or he will go around the table and pour for the rest of the guests. Great. I have servers waiting before. I'm waiting where they're looking at me and someone says... Let them know it's okay. <laughs> it's a little bit embarrassing. So this is really, really helpful. That's an important part of the process. You yeah. need to let them know that, let, yes, you accept the bottle. Let them know. Yes. Um, this is really, really great because so many of us feel, newbies like me, feel uh, intimidated at best and in some cases just like complete idiots because we don't know what we're doing. So this is pretty simple. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. Today, we're joined by Jim Derrick, the host of Chapters Radio. You can find him on chaptersradio.com. You can find Kim on vinitaswineworks.com. And you can find myself on franklinliquors.com. So Kim has just gone through the process of presenting the wine to Jim. He tasted it and approved it. So now we all have our wine in front of us. So, Kim, let's walk him through the tasting process. So this is the second Second half of a very interesting question that Jim had asked us earlier about not only what do you do in a restaurant when you are the one responsible for ordering the wine, going through the wine presentation and approving it, but then when you're in a setting of doing an actual wine tasting, 
what is that all about? What is the appropriate etiquette? What is the appropriate procedure? So we're going to walk through generally how we do tastings with our wine club, the Franklin Wine Club. So wine tasting is all about using all of your senses and then also engaging your mind in the experience of tasting wine. So we want to look at the color. We want to smell what is in the glass. We want to pay attention to what it tastes like and then how the wine finishes. And then we have to think about it and put all of those things together. So right off the bat, let's Let's just look at the color. So we tilt our wine glasses, try to put it over something that is white or light colored. Piece of paper always works really well. This is why you'll often see in wine tastings that the tablecloths are white. Ah. You might think that's a bad idea because people are going to be spilling wine all over the place, but it's actually so that people can take a look at the color. And the, the color will tell you something about hopefully the age of the wine And each individual grape variety has its own unique spectrum of colors that it could be. So sometimes you'll have them darker or lighter, anywhere from purple to brown on the red end of the spectrum. Some whites are so light you can see right through them and they don't look like they have any color. And it's also important with rosés because there's a whole broad spectrum of colors in the pink for rosés. And I like that Jim is into it. He's actually holding the paper and... Now, Jim, if you hold it at a 45-degree angle yeah. against that white paper, in the geeky part of the tasting, they'll say what's the rim, which is the outer I see that. side, versus the core, which is the center. I see and that. And you notice that the, the rim is actually a little shedding, a little lighter. So this is a 2014. It does have a little bit of aging, so you are seeing a little bit of shedding on that exterior. Do you see that? I do. I absolutely see it. So and- they'll say at times the, the rim is translucent and the core is more opaque. So And so it, that's an indication of aging? I- aging. Okay. Over time, that starts shedding. And I will say this is very rich looking. I don't mm-hmm. know how. It's very rich looking. It's almost opaque in, this, in the center. So yep. Yep. Which is very typical of this grape, grape variety. So this is made from Cabernet. Cabernet can tend to brown a little bit as it gets a little bit older and I am seeing that along the rim of this so it's it's got a really deep sort of maroony color in the center but then it's getting a little bit brown around the edges so a lot of times people will ask you Jim what do you think right when you see this wine you'll say it's uh, a dark or it's a translucent or you like how the the rim versus the core. If you want to get geeky, you can go different levels. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Um, one of the things that interests me, you, you mentioned the aging, um, this this whole swirling part of it. Um, there's, a, there's a reason for swirling, right? There is a reason for swirling. And the reason is not so that you can look at the legs that come down the side of the glass. A lot of people are latch onto this idea of, oh, you, you swirl your wine I've and then that. The, the wine has legs, which are these drips down the side of the glass. The legs don't really tell you anything quality-wise about the wine. It might tell you that it's got a little bit more alcohol or maybe has a little bit more sugar. So it's all about the viscosity of the wine and not about whether, is it a good wine, is it a bad wine? So a lot of people who are just starting to get into wine or don't know a whole lot about wine have heard that term and always ask about it, which is really funny. I can, you know, at most of my intro to wine classes, I will get a question about, oh, look at the legs on the wine. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then I have to burst people's bubble and be like, yeah, that doesn't yeah. really tell you anything about the wine. The swirling, what we're trying to do is aerate the wine a little bit, get some oxygen in there so that it has a more powerful aroma and we can get more of the smell of the wine. Yeah, and we love, Jim, to show to our classes the the actual power behind the aeration because we pour the wines for the event. It's sitting there. You come, they're just sitting there. If you pick it up and smell it and then swirl it and smell it, 
you'll get totally different aromas. Really? So it really opens up. So a lot of times we pre-pour, it's sitting there. We tell them first thing to do, smell it, then swirl it and smell it and see the actual power of the aeration. And for even new people like me, they notice it. You should notice. I mean, you didn't have a chance to let it right, sit. Right. So fascinating. So next, we'll move on to the second part, which is very important: is the aroma. Mm. One of the things we talked about the aeration. What I like to do when I say how to smell the wine is when I smell it, I'll actually open my mouth. And Kim, I'm not sure if you use this technique or not, but first smell it with your mouth closed, and then smell it and open your mouth. It's a totally different experience. Totally different. So you get more of the aroma as it passes through with your mouth open. Interesting. So right away, when what's your thoughts? What are you smelling? Nothing is wrong. No, I am smelling grape. <laughs> I, I am smelling grape. I am smelling fruit. Um, and I'm smelling almost a cherry. There you go. You're, you're an expert. How am I doing? Right? You're, you're on the expert. right track. You're on the right track. Kim and I always joke, when whenever in doubt, it's a red wine, you say cherry. A white wine, you say apple. apple. <laughs> you're never wrong. This is very noticeable cherry. Very cherry. Which is a characteristic of Cabernet. Correct, Kim? Correct. Correct. One of them. There's a lot of cherry a lot. In, in other things as well. So now Kim will give her nose and um, you'll see where the geekiness comes out. So right off the bat, I smell the oak on this one. And you said this has, what, 16 months 16, in barrel? 16 months in French oak. In French oak. So I am more than the fruit. I am getting the oaky quality. And that is hitting me as like a spicy kind of an aroma. Do you smell any wood or oak or sawdust? I, I, def- or I most like definitely smell oak. Yeah. yeah. And this this is also like a, almost like a sawdusty or a cedary kind of a smell. Like, you know, when you open a, a yeah. cedar chest and you get that smell, that's what I'm getting out of this. A lot of it for me is once someone says something to you, it, a light bulb goes <laughs> Just read off. my mind. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's a good thing about wine taste, but it's a bad thing because people will present you a wine. They say, oh, you're going to smell this, this, and that. And you you can't make your own opinion usually because they already put it in your mind. And that's somewhere where we have to be careful. I was just going to say, it sounds like a bit of a social faux pas for for someone to sit there and, and insert all of their uh, observations before somebody's had an opportunity, yeah, it right? it can be. It, it can it be. It kind of sounds like a, a buzzkill, if Takes you will. Yeah. 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 And when Kim and I go to events, a lot of times they'll pour the room. If you sit in the back of the room, there's already people talking by the time the wine gets to you. So it kind of, for me, it ruins it. Because yeah. so. mm-hmm. we can all be influenced, you know, yeah. no matter what our level of experience is. If we hear that someone else is saying, oh, this reminds me of blah, 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 blah. We're all like, oh, yeah, I get a little bit of that. But we kind of walk a fine line because on the one hand, we're trying to let people have their own experiences and use their own palate, use their nose to come up with their ideas of what this wine is saying to them. But on the other hand, we want to be a little bit of a guide and we want to help people to understand what might be going on in there so that then they can develop the appropriate terms to use next time and going forward. So we don't want to unduly influence people too much with what the tasting note is or should be. But on the other hand, we're still looking at ourselves as teachers. So I get that oak, I get that spice, and I get, for, for me, tasting a lot of wines from Lodi, I get Lodi fruit. That's It's the cherry, it's the black fruits, but the region in California... For me, this is classic Lodi fruit. So if I was presented this not knowing in a blind tasting, this stands out as Lodi fruit. Do you get that? So do you get the same profile of Lodi fruit, whether it's Cab or whether it's Zinfandel? Pretty much. You do. I I get this almost smokiness or toasted note. Because I don't get the like the blackberry raspberry that I would expect if this were Zin from Lodi. So Lodi is a much warmer growing region of California. Mm -hmm. So that's primarily why they are a red wine growing place that 
there's lots of heat, there's lots of sunshine, the grapes get to ripen to full maturity or even beyond. So you expect that the fruit is going to taste really ripe, as if you had just picked a sun-ripened blackberry that was still warm in your hand and really juicy. Like, that's what fruit you should be getting out of these really warm climate places, you know, regardless I, of the grape variety. I want people to know that I've been sitting here swirling since you mentioned and you that. haven't been able to taste it I yet. I haven't stopped. <laughs> and, and I just put my nose back to the glass and spice hit me right between the, the, the eyes. And I didn't pick up the spice when I initially was uh, went to the nose. So to Mark's point earlier, that just illustrated for me what aeration can do. More it opens up and sits there, it will change. Yeah. It will evolve. I'm getting coffee now too. And, wow. and the nose. Yeah, this is the interesting thing, Jim, is we've all explained different things. Yeah. And that's the great thing about wine. So they might, out of the three of someone might hate that. Right. And you love it. So you can't, you have to appreciate what everybody's taking from the wine. Mm. And one thing I just wanted to interject for the novices out there that are listening to us, we're talking about all of these terms that we're smelling. You know, we're smelling cherry, we're smelling spice, we're smelling coffee. Those are not additions that are put into the wine. This is solely made with juice of the grape and yeast that has been added probably and then aged in oak barrels. So there's no coffee that's been added. There's no blackberry that's been added. Sometimes that is one of those wine questions that people are afraid to ask, especially in a beginner class. But all of these flavors and aromas that we're going to be talking about just come about from the magic of fermentation and what happens when those when that yeast ferments the grape juice and the chemical changes that take place during that. You've been listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. You can find out more about Mark at franklinliquors.com and more about myself at vinitaswineworks.com. Today we're sitting down with Jim Derrick of the Chapters Radio Show here in Franklin, Massachusetts, and we are walking him through what he would experience as a member of our Franklin Wine Club. So far we have looked at the color of the wine in the glass, we've been talking about aromas a little bit, and now we're going to move on to everybody's favorite part, which is the actual tasting. Jim's jumping up and down. Finally. <laughs> He's like, I get to taste wine now. <laughs> finally. See, most of the people would already be at this point, but for us, we've guiding you. Yeah, right? I, I, you guys are my wilderness guides. I will say so far, it, this is fascinating to me. Um, and I, I, you know, what we said earlier was, I mean, this is this is a new experience for me, and I'm experiencing this much differently than I with you both here. Um, not just because you're experts, but because of your input than I would if I was alone. So this really is a communal thing. Mm-hmm. And, and tasting is very different from drinking. We say this all the time. Yeah. If you had a glass of this that you poured at the end of the day, and you, maybe you just wanted a glass of wine, or you're in the middle of cooking dinner right. and whatnot, you might not be spending the mental brain power working sure. on trying to figure out what everything smells like what what it's going to taste like for you so it's a it's a different exercise Great. and people that drink the same wines all the time probably don't even bother doing you know they open it and they drink they expect that's what it's going to be so they're sure. not doing this process mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so jim take a sip okay here comes the great part cheers is that what we say cheers, cheers. The wine salute excellent salute. depends depends what country you're in all right mm. and we don't have any spit buckets we should be tasting but we don't want to get any of the radio equipment here damaged <laughs> I, I will tell you, um, I, I need to ask you, is there a proper way to roll this onto my palate? Yeah. Do you want to show it, Kim? Sure. I'll even You'll hear do this. it into the microphone yeah. so everybody right. can hear it. So you take a, small, take a small sip, and then when you're holding the wine in your mouth, you inhale through your mouth. It's a little harder to describe, wow. so I'm just going to do it. You have to listen. Sounds like a choking opportunity. 
Wow. Okay. And I'm very careful to not dribble it dribble all over it. myself. That's why I don't wear so white. take a little in. There you go. Almost <laughs> felt. Wow. But did that change the second sip that exactly. I tasted? Exactly. Under that method, tasted point. entirely different than mm-hmm. the first where I gulped yep. it down. Usually so. you need two to three sips to really get the profile of the wine. And I have to let folks know some insider, insider uh, observation. Kim, you, you retained your, your feminine uh, <laughs> uh, and ladylike appearance when you did that. It was amazing to me. It, it probably sounded horrifying Thank on the you. radio, but it was amazing. <laughs> done it a few times. Yeah, you've done it a few times. <laughs> I'm, I'm not not trying to appear ladylike or no, feminine. But it, well, I'm just it, trying not to dribble it all well, over myself. Well, I guess that's where I was headed. Well, right. see, Jim, we know you have a big event coming up, and you're going to order the wine. That's you're gonna, right. Now you can swirl it and press everybody at the table. My son, and Mike, when they don't do it, you say, why are you not exa- doing it? <laughs> exactly. I will shame everybody in the room. This is your practice. This is great. Okay, so that's interesting. So is that the aeration that I'm experiencing? Yes. So what you are doing is so much of our sense of taste is actually our sense of smell. So what you are doing is... <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> Rookie mistake. <laughs> you can edit that. That was not me, no, folks. No, hey. <laughs> well, that's live radio, folks. You Holy didn't smokes. spit it. You didn't spit it. I didn't. It. I didn't. Yeah, and you didn't dribble either. So uh, you're maybe practice. I'll hold off on that part in the restaurant that I'm going to in Washington. You know the funny thing about it, Jim, you, you're going to start doing this with your milk and your soda and your water because you want to practice the technique. So, you're right. You know, I Kim swirl my coffee. Yeah, it right. keeps the sugar and the cream mixing with my coffee. Right. I always swirl but it. what a different flavor. You're aerating it, so it's opening up. Now, you had said earlier you were smelling, che- or smelling cherries, Cherry correct? Cherry and spice, yeah. uh, What are you tasting? I am tasting the spice, believe it or not, to me is coming through more than the fruit. So I hear people say fruit forward in the business. I'm not experiencing that. I'm getting more spice and more oak. Now, when you're saying spice, you're saying it's like a wood spice? Yes, a wood spice, yep. Now, a lot of people can say that spice is coming because it's in French oak. They break it down. Is it a pepper spice? Uh, Is it a wood spice? Uh, Are you getting Is it a sweet spice like cinnamon or nutmeg? Some people who have a lot of experience will use all these different terms to try to describe and really pare down what what are they experiencing here. Now, I'm, this may, uh, I'm, I'm curious as to your impressions, but I'm also picking up something that I would describe as floral. It's good. <clears throat> it, which to me would not perfuming. I, I don't want people to think perfume like a strong, uh, unsatisfactory flavor, but it's more floral. Mm-hmm. On your palate? Oh, yes, now, or, on yeah. the palate. So yeah. like a violet? Or, yeah, that yeah. A violet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, thank you. That's yeah, one of that those very classic aromas or flavors that go hand in hand with Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm-hmm. So each grape variety, I like to describe them as like we're very familiar with different varieties of apples. You know, mm-hmm. you might like Macintosh apples or sure. Granny Smith apples or whatever. Great varieties are the same thing. So they're all slightly different variations of all the same species, but they all have their own unique attributes. So different grape varieties will have different flavors that just you would naturally find in that grape or in, in the wines made from that grape. And one of the ones that goes along with Cabernet is violet. So you you kind of are expected to find a little bit of a floral note in the wine. You might be a better wine taster than you think you are. I don't know. This is fascinating to me. What were you getting on the palate, Kat? I'm getting more oak. Oak. Um, yeah, I think oak. because this has a few years on it, and usually wines from these really hot growing climates are really flashy when they're young, and then they sort of fade as they get a little bit older and they don't last too, too long. This, I think, is drinking at a really nice point because it's not super jammy, but it's still got some nice acidity and balance to it. But it's losing, for me, a little bit of the that primary fruit. So I'm getting a lot more of the wood. 
See, I was waiting for the B word, Jim. She walked right into this because we always talk about balance. And when we talk about balance in the flavor, we're saying you're not getting a lot of oak, you're not getting a lot of fruit, you're not getting a lot of acid, you're not getting a lot of alcohol. They're all kind of balancing out. So I'm glad Kim said that because it, it does have the smoothness or a balance to it. Yeah. And what, what sort of surprised me, I just looked at the alcohol content. This is telling us that it's a 15% alcohol, which is on the higher side. Mm-hmm. You know, we usually like to look at 12, 13, 13 and a half percent. This one is saying it's 15 and does not taste hot or boozy to me at all. I was just so going to say, that's I'm one not of those fighting, things. as you yeah, said earlier, I'm no. not fighting it. This is telling, this is a, this is a, a nicely balanced wine with the alcohol, balanced with the flavors and the aromas and the wood. For anybody that's that's listening, that uh, I, I would just say this, I'm I'm a complete novice when it comes to tasting wine. This is my first experience ever with, a, with professional wine tasters. And I can tell you that not only is this a fascinating process to go through, but with confidence, I would buy this wine. First of all, I enjoy it. I can tell you that. And um, I would buy this wine and I can already taste what I would eat with it and what I wouldn't. You're also tasting it in good company. So that helps. Too. That does help. The company's fantastic. So for me, this is this is something I would want to have uh, steak or red meat with. It's not something I'd necessarily, for me, pair with fish or something that was lighter. I think this would be great with barbecue. Barbecue. So anything that has one. that big, those big woody aromas great. and big woody flavors, yeah. I like with barbecue. It just it plays off putting those two things together really well. So now, Jim, you've had Cabernet before, correct? Have, have yeah. you had $10 Cabernet? Yes. Compare a $10 Cabernet to this Cabernet. Do you think it's $10 Cabernet tasting if or I, different than what you've had in okay. the $10 so, level? So in, in my opinion, if I, if you were to ask me what the sticker price on this wine was relative to a $10 Cabernet, I'd say this would be at least double the, the cost. Wow. Maybe, maybe two and a half times. You're good. It's $20. Okay. Double. Just What's different than the $10 okay. so, Cabernet? So again, from the novice's standpoint, to me, this is a richer, um, and when you said balanced, I, I love that term because I can get my arms around that. I'm not fighting anything in this. It just is very pleasing and even, if you will. Mm-hmm. The alcohol isn't forward. The, the spices aren't just, that's not the only thing I'm picking up. I can, I can. everything seems to be in balance. Yeah. Does that make sense? All of the parts work together. Whereas me, some of the $10 cabinets that I've had in the past, I've been fighting something. It's, mm-hmm. it's ooh, you know, that one's spice forward or whatever. When I, d- when I describe a wine like that, I say that it has elbows. Like there's one part that sticks out a little bit farther and kind of so gets you in the ribs. Did I nail the price point? You did. Really? And I think that's because you learned from us, right, Kim? <laughs> well, clearly, right? <laughs> we, we spent some time together this morning. I'll tell you this. I would happily pay 20 or $25 for this bottle. And that's, I mean, the whole thing for wine education, what is the difference? Unless you tasted, if you're always drinking a $10 Cabernet, if you never tasted a $20 Cabernet, you don't know. You haven't experienced what the difference. Why is it double the cost? This one is double the cost because the production is less. They're using French oak for a certain amount of time. There's a cost involved to that. They're using 100% of Cabernet, which is an expensive grape to, to grow and, and to make. So that's the difference. And I'm so happy you understood that. I, I do. Thank you for listening today to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your host, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. Today, we're joined by Jim Derrick, and we're walking through the process of drinking wine or tasting wine. Tasting wine, yeah. Uh, you can hear Jim on his show at chaptersradio.com, and you can find Kim on vinitaswineworks.com, and you can find myself on franklinliquors.com. Now, Jim, during the tasting here, what did you think when this wine was on your palate? Was it heavy? Yes. Was it light? So you, it's heavy. It's heavy to me. 
Okay, yep. so when we talk about weights, we talk about body, and Kim and I like to promote this as, think of it as milk. Yes. Skim milk would be light body, uh, whole milk would be full body. So this grape, Cabernet, is a, is a heavy full body grape, so you're actually tasting that. But I think I love what you just brought up, because milk, th- those two types of milk, skim milk, say with its fat removed, and, and whole milk, it's the texture. And to me, the texture of this, I would describe as not syrupy, but it's heavier. I can feel the mouth feel. Mm-hmm. It's heavier. So I think there's more than just flavor, right? For right. me, it's 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 texture. I'm glad you brought up the yeah. word texture because that's the exact term that we use when we try to differentiate for people, you know, what it tastes like in your mouth, but then what does it feel like in your mouth? And there are different terms that we use to try to describe those to people. And I, I, I do like that Mark has landed on that, that whole milk analogy because that really works for people but then there's also there's the acidity does it feel mouth watering for you or does it is it the opposite does it dry your mouth glad you said that because i just had thought just before you said that that uh this was savory was the thought thought because my my mouth actually almost like if you had a steak in your mouth and you really you know couldn't wait for the next bite Mm -hmm. Uh, and we haven't even talked about tannins yet so that's another another part of the the texture as well that's what you're getting. You're, and as this evolves here, I'm getting more and more of the tannins coming out. Uh, you came as on the finish. Yeah, I was. What is a tannin? How do I know when I have one? <laughs> <laughs> a tannin is a, a natural compound that occurs in a lot of fruits and vegetables. The ones that I like, I like to describe to people, if you've ever tried to eat a banana that's not quite ripe enough, it's still kind of green and you bite into it and it dries out your tongue and you feel it feels kind of fuzzy on there. Yeah. That's a tannin. Ah. That's a tannin. Cold tea, if it's really strong yeah. and you drink it and it feels sort of fuzzy, that's a tannin. Wine gets its tannins from the grape skins. So the reason why red wine is red is because it pulled all the color from the skin of the grape during fermentation. It also pulled out the tannins from the skins of the grape and sometimes from the seeds of the grapes as well. So it is is a, an integral part of what makes red wine red wine. And so it's that drying sort of sometimes it comes across as fuzzy or silky or velvety or dusty. Those are all different terms that people use to describe the feel of the tannins from the wine on your tongue. So Mark, how would you describe the tannins in, that you're experiencing? There's, you're detecting, I'm detecting tannins because it's dry to me but they're not overpoweringly like sometimes when which we'll go through in the next process but when you swallow the finish it, it lingers there but the tannins kind of went away mm-hmm. quick if that makes sense this one i would describe as this one strikes me as dusty tannins dusty i would tannins. call this one dusty tannins. i love the fact i love how you guys draw these metaphors between um things that we commonly do like a ripe banana a non-ripened mm-hmm. banana because that gives me some some uh, frame of reference and i can tell you that i i'm not getting a tannin heavy tannin yeah. uh, representation it's not super in heavy. this wine. I, I actually expected it to be heavier, and I don't know if it's because of the age or because of just how ripe the tannins were. Usually if you're using a grape that is really, really ripe, you're going to get softer tannins mm. because they soften out as they get riper. Interesting. So there's five actual stages of wine tasting, Jim. We've covered the look, the smell, the taste. The next part is once you swallowed it, what is the finish like in your mouth? And we've kind of already hit a few of these points. You said a little bit of tannins, a little bit of drying. Anything else when you finish swallowing that sticks out to you? 
Mm. So it's the mouthfeel that you're left with, the mouthfeel, yeah, the and, flavor that you're left with? And the flavor that you were getting, are you still getting it after you swallow for any length of time? Okay, so I would say yes. I'm getting a long, in other tasting worlds, they call it finish. Correct. Is that what it's called here? Mm-hmm. Correct. So for Correct. me, I get a very long finish on this. Which is a good indicator of, you could say, quality, because the lower quality Cabernet, you just swallow it, you get buried, and it's gone. But I, I haven't tasted other wines, so for me, it's relative to what? I don't know. But, right. Well, you've but had Cabernets before. I have. So, yeah, yeah, and this one really lingers well, and I enjoy the, the flavor that I'm But you bring up a good point. Like, a lot of it is based on your own experience. So if you haven't been doing a lot of this, you don't have anything else to compare it to. So how would you know if this has a long finish? And that's why it's important when we talk to people about learning about wine that it does take a little bit of time for you to build up sort of a repertoire in your mind of your tasting notes and your experiences with wines. Mm. So the final process of tasting is just overall, what what did you think? Boy, I'll tell you what, I'd go and buy this bottle right now. See, well, that's Thank good. You. This just just get any you, better than a good that, one to bring, right? You know, I got to tell you, you guys hit hit the spot directly um, for me. Uh, this is exactly what I would want in a wine. So we we talked about Jim Kim had showed the process. You order this in a restaurant, so the, you probably would have saw it on the menu. Uh, you're looking for a Cabernet. You saw Clinker Brick. Say, I'm Clinker Brick Cabernet. But that's the restaurant side of it. If you were to come into a retail store, there are a few things that we like to teach. If you look at the bottle, you'll see it's Cabernet. So you could then ask, I drink 100% cap. Is this 100% cap? So the retailer should know what percentage of grapes are in there. If it's 25% of something else, what else is in there? Because if, say, it's a Petit Syrah grape, it could make it heavier. Mm. Uh, If it's Merlot, it could make it heavier. It could change the color. So retail side, that's the number one thing. What percentage? Then the other thing is oak. Has it been in oak? Is it not in oak? Because it'll be the fruity without oak or it'll be oak. So this obviously was oaky. Yes. The other thing I like to, to use a lot is on the back label, it always has to tell you where it is bottled. So this is actually a produced and bottled by, and it'll give an address. So if you actually, you're on your phone, everybody nowadays is in a store, they're on their phone, they're taking pictures or they're searching. If you search that address on Google Maps, it will come up with an actual vineyard. So if you try this with most wines that are say a $10 bottle and you put in that address, it'll come up with some sort of industrial park or a huge corporation. So you can also tell from that a price range. Why am I paying $20 for this? Because it's a small vineyard. I know it's a small vineyard. I know they're producing it themselves. So tips like that you can get in retail that you'd have to ask a sommelier or someone in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Kim has other tips that she likes to say when she's purchasing, but those are my main things for retailers. We do a lot when it comes to labels and reading a label and what can you tell from a label. Often Mark will take the domestic labels and I will take the European labels because they are two completely different topics. So I think for me, a lot of it, it comes down to figuring out what styles people like and then directing them towards understanding what could be on a French label or an Italian label and leading them in such a way that they can then find other things from other regions that they will also enjoy. So interesting. And you mentioned Lodi earlier the, um, that you pick up, Mark, the, the and, and Kim, the, the flavor of the Lodi grape. So if I honed in on this and found another wine with, from that region that I specifically liked, I might start looking for a Lodi grape, right? Yeah, it's because the profile, the fruit grown in that region should be similar. Mm-hmm. One other question. I'm out, I, you know, you give me great information about being in a retail establishment. I'm out at a restaurant and uh, I'm looking through the buy the glass list. How do I know, or even by the bottle, how, how do I get a sense as to what's reasonable to pay for a bottle and yeah, whether I should we, order it? 
we talk about that a lot. There is a standard calculation for cost in restaurants. So okay. typically a glass of wine costs what the restaurant pays for the bottle. Wow. So if you pay 10 bucks for a glass, they probably paid $10. So if they open and only pour one, at least they got their money back. Now this bottle retails $20. If it was on a wine list, it's usually two to three times retail plus $5. So you're talking between $35, $45 range. So now you'd have to know, say you've bought this in retail, you know you paid 20 Is it worth it to you to buy it in the restaurant mm-hmm. at double, mm-hmm. triple the price? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times restaurants have allocated wines where they can only get at a restaurant. So you can ask them that. Is there, you know, I'm in Cabernet, I'm looking for 100% Cabernet. Is there a restaurant only wine I can only get here? So then you're feeling like you're experiencing something different. And there are a lot of wines that even if they're not necessarily only for restaurants, that maybe that restaurant has a wine buyer or a dedicated beverage some person who pays attention, you know, to what wines are going to be going the best with our cuisine. You know, what's maybe a little bit harder to find, what's small production, what's really cool and interesting and something that we can hand sell to a lot of people and, you know, introduce different grapes or regions, whatever, to people. So sometimes finding those kinds of restaurants that then have staff that know about the wine and are very excited about it, it's worth it to know that, okay, yeah, I'm paying a little bit more money for this bottle, but look at all the extra that I got that went into it. And if they have good staff like that, Jim, and you say, and you walk in there, your son's wedding dinner, and you say, I like Clinker Brink Cabernet. I just had the 2014 vintage. We're having steak tonight. What would you recommend that is similar to that on your wine list. Land me close you know? to that one. And if right. they yeah. send you to Chilean Cabernet, something's wrong okay. because it, it's probably not the same. It should be this another Lodi or something, Central Coast maybe. And if they present it to you and right away you go through the steps and it's not anywhere close, just say, you know, I'm, I've had Lodi Cabernet, something's different here. And that's acceptable yeah. to do. Of course. Yeah. 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 That's why you're going through the whole process. Fantastic. So take advantage of well, that. Well, thank you, guys. I am a much more knowledgeable consumer, and importantly, most importantly, this is a lot of fun. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> We've had fun. Well, thank you. Thank you for asking so many wonderful questions, because what we, we love to get to people at the level of their knowledge and then build off of that. So having someone with us today who was able to ask us so many good questions that then we could hopefully then educate our listening audience was uh, really great for us. A lot of fun. We want to thank you for joining us today. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine. We want to thank our guest, Jim Derrick. You can listen to Jim Weekly at chaptersradio.com on FM 102.9 in Franklin. You can also hear him with Frank's Music, a very entertaining show. That's right. And Jim, we appreciate you coming. Thank you, guys. And to follow us more, just go to our Facebook page, The Wonderful World of Wine. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.